0: Okay, are we live? I think so. I hope so. Anyway, we've we've had a variety of technical issues over the last 24 hours, so I'm hoping that everything uh, is working out okay. And if it is, I would like to welcome you to this special live episode of the Smoking Hot podcast We've been doing these periodically throughout the summer, and tonight or today that is is no different. Um, of course, now if you don't know what the Smoking Hot podcast is, it is a podcast that I host weekly uh, throughout most of the year. I take the summers off, but I obviously through the summer i do some live episodes here on zcast uh, but you can you can catch the regular episodes of the regular podcast uh, on my mixcloud page that's the hot toddy mixcloud page by the way i'm hot toddy i, I don't know if, if i mentioned that but that that is the name uh, hot toddy host of the smoking hot podcast and you can catch episodes on my mixcloud page as well as the smoking hot todd page on itunes and uh, a brand new season this is some inside information that only the zcasters are getting uh, firsthand right now uh, the new season of the smokin hot podcast season 4 to be exact begins on Thursday August 31st and you can find the the new episodes like i said on the hot Toddy mixcloud and or the smokin hot podcast itunes page so go check those out uh, accordingly as time goes on and you can catch up with all episodes of the smokin hot podcast on my mixcloud page and with that in mind let's jump right into this special live edition of the smokin hot podcast now um You probably have seen the the title of this episode, and you're probably wondering why is it called this? That's that's not what the movie's called. Well, the title, of course, is "War for the Spider Man Apes." War for war war for the what? I don't I don't remember what it's called. War for the war for the planet. It should be. I don't know if what I wrote down. If it was supposed to be "War for the," uh, I can't remember what. (laughs) I wrote down the title. I don't even remember what it was. It's supposed to say. A war for the Spider Man Apes. That's what it is. Yeah, that's war for the Spider Man uh, Apes, and uh, and the reason why is because last week I saw Spider Man Homecoming and Planet War for the Planet of the Apes, which in my opinion are two of the best films thus far in 2017. Absolutely breathtaking, fantastic films, and uh, and it's weird because I was kind of worried about those. Those two particular films, I didn't know how well they were going to do, and then they came out, and all worries were dashed because they they are fantastic films. And Spider Man for sure is it was a very pleasant surprise, and that's why we will we will begin with it, Spider Man Homecoming. This is my review. This is this is what this episode is. It is a review for both films, and uh, that's what we're going to start with, Spider Man Homecoming. And uh, Spider Man Homecoming. Let's just get it right out of the gate. Uh, it is a great film in that it 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 kind of bypasses a lot that the old Spider-Man films went through. You know what I mean? It's like it, the Spider-Man movie kind of starts just in the day in the life of Peter Parker, who is now Spider-Man. We didn't have to go through the origin story, which I think is the which I th- is the most look It's it, it's the most ick part of. Excuse me, if you hear a cat, that is my cat. She's being a little bit butt-faced, but uh, she's down on the floor now. Uh, But anyway, um, if you have seen the other Spider-Man movies, you know you have to go through the origin story, which is he gets bit by the spider, and he goes from awkward, gawky teenager to hunky man, whatever. Hunky, awkward teenager. And then uh, later on, you know, he's he's trying to make a good Spider-Man suit, and then eventually his uncle, Uncle Ben, gets killed. And, you know, he gets the, uh, for with great power comes great responsibility speech, yak, 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 you know, all of that. And they bypass all of it. All of it. None of that is in this film. And I find that to be a great, great thing. Because, uh, like I said, it just got so old and it made it so depressing. Those other Spider-Man films were so depressing. And it just, it just wasn't worth it to, to go through all that. And, and that's what this film is. All of that is over. You don't go through Uncle Ben. You don't go through uh, becoming Spider-Man. He's already Spider-Man, and he's already doing his thing. And that's what I loved uh, the most about it. And uh, to top it off, the kid that they found to play Spider-Man, this Tom Holland kid, he is a breath of fresh air. He really is. You know, A lot of people say of Tobey Maguire that he was a great Peter Parker, but kind of a lousy Spider-Man. And then they say of Andrew Garfield, and this is extremely debatable, I don't agree with this, uh, but a lot of people say that he was a poor Peter Parker, but a great Spider-Man. I don't think he really did uh, well at all, uh, anywhere, but, you know, that's just my spiel. Uh, but that's the general consensus. And then, you know, Tom Holland comes in like Baby Bear, everything is just right. He is perfect for Peter Parker, and perfect for Spider-Man, and I agree with that 100%. He has... Just a range that really made this character work. Uh, you know, in the cartoon series of uh, the animated series of Spider-Man, uh, Peter Parker is like very, a very confident. You know, young man, uh, kind of reminiscent of uh, you know Clark Kent or something like that. And uh, Spider-Man's not supposed to be like Clark Kent. Peter Parker is not supposed to be like him. He's supposed to be kind of awkward. He's supposed to be kind of messy. He's supposed to be kind of you know, just he's not supposed to be perfect. And that's what I liked about Tom Holland, is that he was not perfect as Spider-Man. And that's another thing, that that was another detriment to the old films, is that that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield started out, you know, as the gawky teenagers, then they become Spider-Man, and they're a little, you know, unbalanced at first, and then they become these amazing superheroes. Not in this film. Spider-Man is consistently messy throughout the film. He stumbles over everything, because he's just learning to be a new superhero and i feel like there's more of a story to this particular spider-man and there were than the other ones because you know those other ones had their own storylines so you could drag those out for as long as you want we got to get to the infinity war so we got to move along real fast and so we're, we're learning you know more about peter parker as a person and learning him learning you know watching him go through the stages of becoming spider-man not just you know, I'm, I suck for a minute, and then I'm great. It, it's really, it was really, really well done. And another thing that I really liked about this film was that when he was bitten by the spider. By the way, the the, the spider bite, spoiler alert. The spider bite in this film is mentioned briefly, just for a second, uh, and he doesn't say he didn't have much to say about it, uh, other than the fact that it happened and, and that he had it made him stronger uh, for it. But he's it didn't turn him into a spider. The human spider, if you will. That's what happened in those other films. You know, Tobey Maguire, you remember the scene where he's got the webs coming out of his wrist and he's learning how to use it. You know, he's climbing walls and stuff like that. Uh, Tom Holland doesn't do that. The only time he does that is when he's in the suit. And he's got special, you know, things on his wrist that do the webs. Uh, The suit suit is made by Tony Stark. It's made by Robert Downey Jr.'s character in the film. And so, naturally... uh, the Spider-Man suit is very reminiscent of the Iron Man suit. So it had, when he puts it on, it's like he's got a person talking to him, and he can control all these different things. And it's, it's like it's like Inspector Gadget inside the Spider-Man suit, which I thought was really cool because you know you never seen that Spider-Man before. So for them to do something like that, it's really really neat. And again, it brings it more to a human level. It makes it more to a believable level uh, that obviously he doesn't have these powers inside him. The powers come from the suit. You know everything comes from the suit they these people the, that's the thing about you know like uh, you know Captain America Tony Stark then by themselves they're just normal people but they put those suits on they become a different person and that's what happens with spider-man so you know it's not it's not this crazy abnormal uh, what's the word I'm looking for not not paranormal that's that's death but it's not um, Oh, I can't remember the word, but it's 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 like I said, it's more realistic, it's more down to earth, a little bit more human uh, than just somebody you know getting all the elements of a spider because he got bit by one. Didn't make it, doesn't make a whole lot of sense really when you think about it. So, I really appreciated uh, the way that they they handled this. You know, it's Spider-Man, but it's mostly the suit. You know, it's not really him; it's mostly the suit. And that's fine. I was I was really okay with that that they went down that road. And uh, like I said, it was it was really really well put together. And I love how this movie started. Uh, the movie starts with kind of like a backtracking a little bit and showing showing how he uh, got to where he was uh, in the, in that historic scene now from Captain America Civil War uh, when Cap- when Iron Man calls upon him and he comes out of nowhere to grab uh, Captain America's shield. Um, that scene uh, is played out from Spider-Man's point of view, and it's really, really neat. It's really neat how they do it. Uh, he's, he's, this all takes place in Germany, I think, and uh, Iron Man's right-hand man, played by ja- John Favreau, happy, of course, takes him to Germany and gets him all ready, and he's off to the side, and then you hear Iron Man call for him, and he goes in, and you see it from a different point of view. And it's really neat how it was done. And and it's that's when you find out that it was Tony Stark who made Spider-Man's suit. That's, it's in that scene, or right before that scene, in Captain America, that he finds the suit for the first time and, and looks at it for the first time and puts it on. So, you know, it all com- it all comes together. Again, you didn't have to go through the origin story to get to the suit. You just go right to the suit, and that's all that matters. Um, what else really was great? Oh, another thing that I really enjoyed was the fact that uh, the love story in this film, there was a love story, but it wasn't just like in-your-face bombardment of a love story. It it, it they, they liked each other. What I hated about those other films was it was like, oh, uh, Peter Parker has a crush on Mary Jane or uh, Gwen Stacy, but you don't know if they like him back like that. You know they're nice to him, but they're not really—they're kind of aloof uh, to him. Not in this film. It's again—it's more normal. It's more down to earth. These two people, Peter Parker and this other girl, they dig each other, but they don't really want to say it just yet. You know, but they—they they clearly do. And at the end of the movie, you find out that they actually do like each other. Um, and so it doesn't—it doesn't turn into a teen drama. That's what I hated about those other Spider-Man films—is it turned into a teen drama all about him trying to balance life. Spider-Man doesn't need to bounce. He just needs to jump around and beat up uh, Dr. Octopus or whatever, you know, that, and that's what I and that's what we liked. We kind of got the best elements of the animated series and a human element to the film. And that, that's what was really cool about it. Um, so, you know, it, it wasn't like all this crazy madness, you know, trying to figure out if he's going to fall in love, if he's going to get the girl. No, was, he just cared about what he was doing. And and it made it, it made it a lot of fun like that, and somebody else who was a breath of fresh air in this film was Michael Keaton. I was kind of concerned about how he was going to be as a villain, uh, because keep in mind if he was in the DC universe he'd be Batman, uh, but in this particular universe no he is uh, an enemy of Spider-Man. I'm never really right quite sure what his the name of his character is, of, of the of the villain he plays, uh, but whoever it is this winged guy uh, he's a badass and. Uh, I really liked how his character progressed. It, the movie starts with him uh, being in charge of this like construction group who is currently cleaning up New York post the Avengers, the first Avengers events that took place in 2012. Uh, they're cleaning it up, and then the government comes in and says, "Hey, this involved superheroes and aliens. We're going to have to take over. You guys go." And he's like, "No, we were making the money for this. We were asked to do it, so we're going to clean it up." And they were like, "Look, you got to go." And uh, he reluctantly, he and his people reluctantly, reluctantly leave, uh, but not before he steals one of the crystals, the magical crystals that the aliens that came down uh, brought with them. And so he takes it, and then you find out eight years later uh, he's created this like nuclear weapon underground black market type business, and he's made millions of dollars doing it. And uh, he's turned more, he's turned not into it, not just into a criminal, but a murderer. He's killed a few people, and he's he just he just slowly but surely goes insane. And Spider-Man helps in that in a great deal, in a very great way, he, he makes him go insane even more, uh, which leads to the only scene in the film where I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit, and it's when Mike, it's not, it's nothing, it's nothing big, it's just one sentence that made me kind of go, oh jeez, they went there with it, it's where uh, Michael Keaton is threatening Spider-Man, and he says to him, I will kill you dead, I hate that line, I don't understand why you gotta say, I kill you dead, kill you Or you're going to die. One or the other. Pick one and stick with it. Don't say, I'll kill you dead, because it makes no sense. Uh, But anyway, that was the only silly moment that I felt from the film. Everything else was just glorious. uh, Glorious upon glorious. And yes, Aunt May is hot. Uh, Marissa Tomei is in it. And she plays Aunt May. And yes, she's very attractive. The first time ever, Aunt May has been very attractive. But you know what? It works. A lot of people said, why would you do that? Well, I'll tell you why you do that. Because think about it the aunt may from the animated series the aunt may from the original movies she looks like a hundred years old you know i have aunts and and they're not much older than my mother they're they're a few a few years older but you know when i was tom holland when i was like a tom holland teenager age they were in just middle age you know they weren't that they weren't that much older than my mother and they weren't that old at all. Whereas my grandmother, she was probably around Aunt May's age, you know? So it would make more sense that a teenage Peter Parker would have a middle-aged, maybe even a little bit younger, uh, Aunt May. It just it just made a lot of sense to me. And like I said, no Uncle Ben. That, that makes it even better. Um, but yeah, you know, the little things like that would, made the movie pretty cool. So uh, in all... Spider-Man Homecoming, great film. Uh, I enjoyed it a great deal. Uh, Highly recommended. Go check it out if you've not already. Uh, This is another great addition to the Marvel Universe, uh, the Cinematic Universe, and like I said, probably the, the best. Not probably. It is the best adaptation uh, of Spider-Man in on the big screen thus far, and like I said, Tom Holland is just a, a breath of fresh air. Who knew that he was what we needed this whole time? Not people we already knew, but somebody a British British kid, uh, you know, that we didn't know, come out of nowhere and just takes Spider-Man. For all it's worth, and does an amazing job with him. So, highly recommended. Go check out Spider Man Homecoming. It's in your local theaters now, and uh, you won't be sorry. I guarantee you that. And now, let's move on to the next film that I saw, uh, which was a, a, a breathtaking, brilliant film that I think was really, again, really well done. It was called War for the Planet of the Apes. This is the third installment of the most recent films, the prequels to the original Planet of the Apes films. And, um, I don't know if I would still. I don't know if I would call this my favorite of the of the new trilogy uh, thus far. I think Dawn of the Planet of the Apes* is probably still my favorite, but this film is really, really, really great. Um, you know, it's it's just pieced together again, just like *Spider-Man: Homecoming*. Really pieced together in a brilliant way. Now, I will say this on the outset of this review. Uh, unlike the Spider-Man Homecoming review, this review is going to be filled with spoilers. So, spoiler alert. It's the, it's really the only way you can explain this film is with tons of spoilers. So, if you don't want to hear what happens in uh, War for the Planet of the Apes, I would suggest shutting off now and... Uh, if you don't really care, keep listening. But if you if you don't want to know what happens because you want to see the film first, shut me off now. Go see the film and then come back and listen to me and be like, oh hell yeah, that everything you said makes a ton of sense because I saw that blah blah blah. But <laughs> just fair warning, spoilers ahead. Um, this this film really starts to tie up the loose ends to bring us into the to the Planet of the Apes era for the the original films. So this is really starting to get close at this point, almost. All the human race is destroyed. There's only like a handful of people, and uh, you know the apes from you know they're they're still living in their trees, that little tree hut that they they've had from the from the get go, and uh, they're just trying to survive because now the armies are after them. Keep in mind that this picks up right after. I think a year or two after the events of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, where uh, the evil ape that was in that film, Koba is his name, he's the one who actually started the war. He and his cohorts uh, attacked the humans, and, and it was not Caesar and the, actual, and the rest of his flock. Uh, but, of course, they don't believe that. They don't care. They look at apes. Uh, he, the humans look at apes still as a threat, and so they have to destroy the apes one way or the other, and so they're, they're going to come a- attack them. Uh, regardless of what happened with coba so the army is now chasing after caesar and in in his apes um what was interesting about this film i'll just go ahead and tell you that you know in in rise of the planet of the apes james franco and the humans very sympathetic characters uh don of the planet of the apes uh, i forget the guy's name but he's the, the main guy from that film and his family they are they are very sympathetic humans in this film, there is no sympathetic human. You do not you do not side with the humans at all. The only uh, the only human that you side with is with a little girl that actually gets. Uh Gets to, that teams up with the apes, and and I'll, I'm, I might discuss that later. I don't know. It may not be very pertinent to what I'm talking about. But that's the only human you feel any compassion for. All the other humans are sons of bitches who deserve to die from the way they're treated. And I and I always I thought that was kind of funny because obviously in the original Planet of the Apes films from the 60s and 70s, you had no real you, you you did not feel for the apes at all cuz they're the bad guys in that movie and you feel for the humans but it's the complete opposite you 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 feel terrible for the apes and everything that they have to go through in this film uh but you know obviously things change as time goes on but uh but yeah the the army is chasing after Caesar and his group and uh the, the main goal here is for Caesar and his flock to get to a desert land, uh, this, this nice beautiful desert where it's completely vacant, no humans around. And the reason why they find out about it is because, if you may remember from the last film, Caesar now has a fully grown son, and his, and his son goes off on this mission to find a new home for the group. Uh, and he comes back and explains it to him. And before they can go, though, they're attacked by the army. Specifically, the man in charge, played by World, played by Woody Harrelson. Uh, and then spo- spoiler, or this is we're getting really hardcore into spoilers now. Sadly, Caesar's wife and his oldest son get killed, leaving only his youngest son Cornelius to be uh, the lineage to Caesar. Which, uh, when I see, Cornelius was born in the last film, and. When I heard his name in that film, I didn't think much about it. And then I heard it again in this film, and I was like, "Cornelius sounds very familiar." Did my little Wikipedia search there, of course, and found out yes, Cornelius is one of the main apes from the Planet of the Apes films, the original Planet of the Apes films, uh, played by Roddy McDowell. So we're getting that's another thing, like how that another way they're really tying up the loose ends to bring us into the to the original films. Cornelius is a little boy at this point, and and. So clearly, so that's what makes this interesting. Is when I started thinking about it, is like the Planet of the Apes doesn't take place like thousands of years in the future, where apes are are uh, you know evolved from men. Uh, not to quote the mu- movie, but I just did. Um, it doesn't take place. It's, it's not that far off from when these films take place. Cornelius is just a little boy, and the in the original Planet of the Apes film, he's an adult, so we're looking at maybe 20 years, 30 years at that point, uh, from when this film uh, takes place, so uh, it's not that far in the future, but that's what I'm saying, we're getting ever closer to those original films. Uh, but anyway, so Cornelius lives, and now the flock must move to this desert place so that they won't be found, but uh, Caesar and his, and some key key apes, if you will, uh, go after Woody Harrelson because they're going to kill him. And to make a long story short, uh, the flock, unfortunately, gets uh, captured by Woody Harrelson's men, and then so does Caesar, and they all end up in this like concentration camp type place. And uh, you learn some awful truths while in this uh, particular prison. Uh, you find out that the, the virus, the ape virus that killed off most of the world population, Uh, is starting to attack humans again. Uh, We find it on Dawn of the Planet of the Apes that 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 disease was immune to a lot of people. Everybody on Earth has this disease, but some are immune to it. And the the, the humans who were alive in Dawn, obviously, are the ones that didn't get sick. However, now it's starting to kick into gear and it's doing something else to the humans. It's turning them into mutes which is, again, ties in to the original Planet of the Apes films. If you recall, if you've ever seen them, of course, the apes are like humans. They talk and speak and act like humans, and the humans are like wild animals. They can't talk. They don't know how to take care of themselves. They're, they're like cavemen all over again. They reverted back to, to cavemen, if you will. And that's what's essentially happening to the humans in this film. The virus is turning them into mutes and is dulling their senses and essentially turning them dumber. So they're turning into almost invalids uh, at this point. And so it's, that's how it's attacking them. And, um, you find out in the film that Woody Harrelson's plan is to kill off all the humans that are turning into this, all the apes, because they hate everybody on the planet hates apes, of course, and then kill off the rest of the army that's coming after him and his men, because apparently they, they've gone rogue. This is not how the rest of the world feels. Um, they have gone rogue, and so they have to kill essentially everybody until only the people that think like Woody Harrelson exist. And it's just sickening. It's 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 a very this is a very dark film. This is the darkest of the three. Very very dark. Some dark things happen. You find out that Woody Harrelson actually kills his own son in this film because he got the disease. The disease kicked in to the little boy, and he became a mute. So he said, in order to preserve the species, to make this better, uh, he would kill his son. And it's just oh god, this is so so sad it's just such a hard thing to listen to and but i mean again it was very very well done and um i could just go on all day really about how great this movie was the setup was great the action was great uh, the storyline was great. The little girl I was—I mentioned her a minute ago. She has this disease. The disease has kicked into her where she doesn't talk, uh, but she's taken in by the apes. And I don't know if that's symbolic. I'd have to go back and watch the uh, old Planet of the Apes movies. But I don't know if that's symbolic in some way. Maybe she had some sort of uh, pull with the rest of the apes, or her, or maybe her descendants have some sort of pull with the apes in, in those films. I, I don't really remember. But, uh, but yeah, this, that's a, that's a whole thing, and uh, it's it's really interesting uh, to watch. And uh, like I said, most of the world is killed off at this point, so it's just like these like armies just kind of chasing after the apes, and then the apes, of course, themselves have, are in charge of the planet. And uh, you know, as the movie goes on, horrible things happen to the apes, and then some great things happen to the apes. But in, in all, it's it's really really good. And like I said, the action the action was not schlocky at all. There were some great battle sequences, but it wasn't like to the point of nausea. the The best. Uh, the best example I can have, I could ever use, uh, of a movie that had just action coming out the wazoo to the point of nausea, uh, was was the film. Um uh, I can't, God, it's I was forget the name. Not Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. The Hobbit, uh, Battle of the Five Armies. God, the battle at the end of that movie went on for days, and I, it just it got old after a while. And and so I'm always worried when you go into an action film uh, where it, it's like one side versus another side, and you know there's going to be a battle. Um, you you wonder, oh God, is this going to go on forever? It doesn't it's a very well put together action scene and and a very well just very well put together movie in all and uh just very very good and woody harrelson like i said he's one of those actors That just kind of shows up in movies. You know what I'm talking about? He just—he's one of those actors. Him, John Goodman, and Samuel L. Jackson are the best examples of actors who just kind of appear out of nowhere and and end up in films and and different types of films, and uh, they always do amazing jobs in them. But yeah, like Woody Harrelson will show up in in the in the Hunger Games movies, you know, or you know, he's going to be in the new in the new Han Solo film, the the Star Wars film about Han Solo coming up, you know. And he just he just kind of shows up wherever. And he's, he's good at running the gambit between uh, dramatic, funny, and scary. He's very scary in this film. Which always makes me laugh because most he he actually plays a very he usually plays an intense person in all the films that he's in, which is funny because the first time we meet him is on Cheers, where he plays kind of a dim-witted, happy-go-lucky Midwestern kid who's come out to, to Boston, and he really doesn't know much about anything, but he's just a nice guy. And then every film he's been in, like the first major film, one of the first major films he was in was Born to Kill, um, just a psychopath, and he's a psychopath in this movie too. Uh, but he does a great job. He, play, he plays a great psychopath, so I guess that's why he gets cast as one uh, so, so often in films. Uh, but anyway, to continue the story of what happens in uh, Planet of the Apes, uh, eventually he Woody Harrelson uh, runs into, uh, he 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 finds the doll that the little girl who's with the apes has and the thing about this disease at this point in, in its stage it's very, very contagious. So it can, if, you, if it's on something that somebody has touched, and somebody else touches that thing, they then have the disease. Well, he finds her doll, and he contracts the disease. He becomes a mute, and he can't talk anymore, and eventually he kills himself because he can't deal with it. He wants to obviously save the population. So he he doesn't get killed by Caesar. He takes care of it himself. Uh, and then, like I said, that the battle ensues between his men and the regular army, and then uh, the apes are trying to escape. It's all this big hullabaloo, and you know, it's like I said, it was really, really well done. Now, there was one, there was one thing that really bothered me, and this is the ultimate spoiler of the film. Uh, we've grown to love Caesar when he was a little baby and a little boy in Rise uh, of the Planet of the Apes uh, to when he was you know, first in Command and on of the Planet of the Apes. And then he's in this Planet of the Apes, and sadly he dies at the end of this film. Um, but how he dies... Is what kills me the most? I, I it, it kind of irritates me because he survives the entire film. People shooting at him all the time. He explode. People shooting cannons at him. He survives explosions. Uh, he survives. You know the elements of weather when he gets captured they like crucify him they hang him up on like a, a wooden block and he gets whipped and left out in the snow and they don't feed him they don't they don't give him water he doesn't get anything he survives all of this only to be taken out by an arrow <laughs> some idiot hits him with an arrow in the film he breaks it off and then ki- and then kills that guy that, that hit him with the arrow and then he continues on with tons of energy still fighting and he fights to the very end, and then at the end of the, the end of the fight, when everybody's dead, him and the rest of the apes uh, get on horseback and start moving towards this new desert place, and and it's far, far, far away. So it takes you know it it's trans, scene transition tra, can't talk scene transition to scene transition of them going down this path to get to the desert place. Finally, they reach it, and then he just kills over. He just dies from the from the arrow wound. He loses all of his energy just in within a second and kills over. I'm like that. That's kind of an anticlimactic way to kill. Uh, the hero of the film, seriously, but that that's how he goes out, and that was the only thing I didn't like about that film, it's like, you, you could have made him go out, and a, you know, gloriously somehow in the film, but uh, they chose to go with that, but I was like, all right, so coupon death, if you will, <laughs> coupon shot, if you will, um, but other than that, the film was amazing, and really, really well done, and I thought this would be it, I thought this would be, like, this was a good, like, tie in the bow tie in the knot there uh, to the original films but apparently they're working they're working on a fourth one there's going to be another one coming out which makes me think well what are you going to do without caesar now because caesar's the star of the film and i guess they're going to do it like i said mentioning of him earlier cornelius maybe he's going to be an adult or a teenager in the next film and and it's and then you 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 find out what happens it's like maybe the building of the planet of the, that's what they should call it building of the planet of the apes uh, putting the planet of the apes together whatever uh, uh this the, their group just trying to co, just trying to exist in this new world without caesar and uh so maybe so maybe that will be the last film maybe it will be the no pun intended missing link yeah, eh? between the prequels and the original films, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But they are working on a fourth one apparently. But uh, but there you go. Highly recommended. Go see Bora for the Planet of the Apes. I, I was worried about it and think it was going to be great, but it turned out to be absolutely fantastic. And uh, and you won't be sorry. So if you like those films, go check it out. It's absolutely perfect. And with that in mind, that's it. There you have it. That is my review for Spider-Man Homecoming and War for the Planet of the Apes. I certainly hope this whole thing recorded. I don't know if it did or not. Uh, If it did, if I'm still live and you're listening to me, I thank you for listening to me. Uh, We're going to be doing, hopefully, a couple more, at least two more episodes of the Smoking Hot Podcast live before Season 4 of the regular podcast uh, starts on Thursday, August 31st. So keep your eyes and ears peeled here on ZCast or on YouTube streaming. Uh, for future episodes of the Smokin' Hot podcast Live. And like I said, as I keep saying, I'll say it again, the new season starts Thursday, August 31st, and you can find it on the Hot Toddy Mix Cloud page and the Smokin' Hot Toddcast page on iTunes. And with that in mind, that's going to do it for me for now. Thanks for tuning in. This is Hot Toddy, and we will see you soon.